0: Welcome to the Players' Voice, a podcast brought to you by the Gaelic Players Association in collaboration with Real Talks. My name is Alan O'Mara, a former Cavan goalkeeper now working as a performance and well-being consultant, and the proud host of this series with some of Ireland's most inspiring inter-county GA players. I am delighted to be joined this week by Ashling Marr. Ashling is a respected leader on the Dublin Camogie team, an all-star, an artist a member of the GPA's LGBTQ plus working group and the co-founder and CEO of Moose Vegan. We talk about the importance of living an authentic life, her experience coming out to family, friends and teammates and her passion to drive equality, diversity and inclusivity. She also calls for straight allies to step up in the GAA world and in wider society. This podcast is brought to you as part of Bio three hundred and sixty. A GPA program that empowers intercounty players across four key areas: life skills, well-being, dual career, and transitions. Please go to bio 360gaelicplayerscom to learn more. But for now, please sit back, relax, and enjoy the player's voice with Ashling Mar. I just wanted to start off, kind of reflecting back with yourself, just in terms of when and where your love for camogie began from and, and how that grew.
1: Yeah, thanks very much for having me, Alan. I'm delighted to be here. Uh, it's great to get to chat to you. And yeah, I guess for me, um, so as you mentioned, I'm, I'm playing with Dublin. I'm living in Dublin. Um, for me, it started with my club, which is St. Vincent's. So uh, I'm living in Merino. My uh, bedroom window there backs out onto the pitch in St. Vincent's. So my, my, my window pretty much lines up with the goal on the senior pitch. So when I was a kid, uh, growing up I was obviously a bit sport mad and my parents were not going driving me all around the county to play other sports when there was a gap pitch behind the window so uh, <laughs> soccer was actually my first choice I, I played soccer like a lot of people did growing up out in the roads just with just with the lads in the estate and whatever else so I wanted to play soccer and I was told that, no there's the gap pitch in there go in and play with them so I went into them probably about four or five years of age like pretty young and uh, like a lot, of, a lot of teams then, I'm 26 now, so that was just over 20 years ago. Like a lot of club teams then, there was no, no ladies football team in there. Um, so I was left playing with the boys for a little while. And then after not very long, I was kind of ushered down to the camogie section because we had, a, we had a, camogie, a camogie team, but no LGFA team. So uh, I kind of fell into camogie as opposed to choosing camogie, but I, okay. I, I, loved, I loved sport and I loved being out playing. So um, I, quickly, I quickly became a big fan and kind of fell in love with the sport from there.
0: And what was it about the game that kind of drew you to it once you got into it and um, what were the aspects of it that you enjoyed the most?
1: I guess like a lot of people who end up playing high level GAA I was just competitive you know I, I loved being able to compete Um i guess i had a little bit of probably hand-eye coordination from from playing the football or whatever but camogie was another challenge again you know i think even now from the coaching and stuff i've done with with younger kids since you can see the difference in the challenge between kicking a football and and hitting a slitter with a hurl now i'm saying this with an absolute hurling hat on so i'm sure all the footballers that might listen will will disagree with me but you know connecting with a slitter is harder and from a young age i was very competitive i I like to challenge so uh I liked the fact that it was difficult and then as soon as I got it I liked the fact that I could do it when other people couldn't and once they were able to do it I wanted to do it better than them or be able to hit the ball further or be more accurate with it or whatever else. So there's kind of, there's always more skills to hone with Ga in general but but especially with Camogie and I think that's what kind of, what kept me interested in it um, from a young age.
0: And then as you like move through the ranks then and obviously develop in terms of the game itself and you're developing as an athlete, at what point does you You mentioned your competitive nature already, too, at what point does you start looking ahead to kind of the opportunities that the, the the higher level of the game in terms of the intercounty side? I'm sure it was senior with your club as well. At what point in your kind of life does that become more serious and you start looking at it as something that's a tangible kind of target or an ambition of yours to have?
1: Yeah, well, I guess like hopefully in contradiction to a lot of the kids who might be at that age now, you know when i was when I was younger and started playing g a a Definitely below the age of 10, there wasn't really a visibility of, of, of senior inter-county uh, Camogie and LGFA players. Um, I, I couldn't see them play, so that probably wasn't an ambition for me from a young age. Um, I definitely could see it with the men's side more so, but it's harder as a young girl to relate to that or, or, or to want to be, you know, Dermot Connolly or Mossy Quinn or whoever it would have been that I would have seen growing up in Vincent's. Um, What I I did see from a relatively young age, you know, at kind of 12, 13, 14, I could see the girls who were five or six years older than me who were starting to play senior club with Vincent's or they were getting asked onto minor Dublin teams or onto senior Dublin teams. So it was more girls within my own club that I could see going and playing at that level, be that senior with the club or getting into inter-county teams. And it was more so seeing them do it that made me want to do it um, as opposed to, you know, looking at, say, kids now, might look at the likes of Lindsay Davey or Sinead Ahern or someone like that playing football. I, I don't know that I necessarily had those role models outside of my club, um, but the likes of, say, Ali Maguire, Anya Fanning, Emer Brannigan... Eva Cullen, you know there was a lot of very talented Camogie players above me and Vincent's who had very successful inter-county careers. And even though I maybe didn't see their inter-county career so much, I definitely saw their success with Vincent's, and I saw them going off and, and playing with Dublin, um, and that that made me made me want to do that as well. Then,
0: yeah, and like from what you're saying there, if there was a lack of visibility, be it in either mainstream media or TV, in terms of having role models like that, or something to someone or someone to aspire to. Like you were obviously very lucky in one way that, like, you had them right on your doorstep, literally, as you said, um, and to have that kind of connection and that tribe for you, and that obviously is a gift. But then, how how important is it? Do you think that that's changed somewhat now, as you said, with like having more visibility, having more presence for younger girls um, to look up to, to see, to recognize, and relate to, and kind of, um, you know, just be inspired by, ultimately.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think I think it's incredibly important. Um, I think it's it's going to be a huge turning point in our game. And you know, like I said at the beginning, hopefully now that is a change that we're starting to see where kids growing up now, the the players who are playing at the top level of the women's game in both LGFA and Camogie, hopefully they're becoming more and more visible the whole time. And I think the fact that they are will make a huge difference to driving up the standard of playing within Dublin and within other counties over the next 10 and 20 years because, you know, the, the best, best athletes in the country will, will play in the sports that they want to be involved in and a big part of them wanting to be involved in that sport is, is seeing role models while they're growing up succeeding in that area. You know, and we can see it in the men's game all the time. Some of the best athletes in this country are playing hurling and they're playing football. You know, I really think that we can make camogie and we can make LGFA a more attractive environment to retain the future stars of sport by making the players there now more visible um, to younger kids growing up so that, you know, obviously there'll be kids who want to be Katie Taylor or Sonia O'Sullivan or Kelly Harrington or whoever it is. But like, I think we need to have our our camogie and our LGFA stars on par with them from a visibility perspective so that, you know, the future best athletes of Ireland, um, young girls growing up, Want to be involved with Camogie and want to be involved with LGFA, and they see players in that game on par with our Olympians or our track and field athletes or, or whatever else they might be.
0: And like to that end, what have you what have you enjoyed the most from your time as an intercounty player with Dublin? We know we're talking about inspiring and you know promoting. But in terms of sometimes the easiest way to to inspire is to like pick out the positives as well. <laughs> like, what have you? what have you enjoyed the most about your time wearing the blue of Dublin and, and having those experiences in your life as you, grow, like as you grow up and grow older
1: yeah like I'm very fortunate Alan it's, it's, a, it's a long list you know and to be fair I think anybody who plays inter-county over, over a long period of time you know it's, I think it's 10 years this year since the first year that I, I played senior with Dublin and if you're gonna if you're gonna do that for that long, you have to enjoy it, and you have to have parts of it that you love. And, and there's loads of it I love. Like you know, I love the sport. I love being training. Um, probably the thing that I love the most is is the girls, is the, is the team, getting to be in that team environment. Um, you know, I mentioned earlier on, I'm a competitive person. I think everybody who plays senior inter county GAA is a competitive person. And getting to live, you know, a, a, a virtually professional sports lifestyle without the without the payment. Um, <laughs> is is a very attractive thing, you know, and, and I think that GAA players love that. Um, we're, we're kind of uh, suckers for punishment, maybe, in that way a little bit, that we love dedicating our whole lives to something and just getting to surround yourself with like-minded people who are also trying to push themselves on the best they can and knowing that everybody there is doing it, you know, voluntarily or for fun or in their spare time and not because they're being paid to or not because they've been transferred in from another club, you know. It 's been said a hundred times before, but it 's a really unique aspect of gaa and it 's an aspect of the sport that, that makes it very attractive to me now to stay involved in. you know I look back at a lot of the, a lot of the coaches that i've had and managers that i've had and still have and the amount of time and hours and energy that they put into it, and they 're not getting anything back you know financially out of it. Um, never mind the players, I think any environment when you have that many people who are who are willing to put in that much energy and effort outside of everything else they have going on in their life. It's, it's, it's always going to foster, you know, a positive, a positive learning environment and an enjoyable environment to be in. So that's very much been, been my experience of it. And that's probably what continuously pulls me back into it.
0: Yeah. And like those things that you've described there, like from a sporting perspective and like, you know, being part of a team, you said like-minded people, does that also benefit you in other aspects of your life in terms of like having like being, does being part of a setup like that help positively impact you in other areas in your life?
1: Yeah, yeah, I think it definitely does. Um, you know, like in a, in every area of life, you you learn things in GAA that can be transferred across that help. And having a unit around you, be it team or be it friends that you've made from playing or um, managers or coaches that you've become friendly with from them having trained you for years... Uh, in any aspect of your life having people around you like that who support you who know you well who know what your strengths are and who can give you sound advice if you need it or point you in the right direction or be it giving you a recommendation about a job that you want to go for or you know I see now at the moment with a lot of the younger girls coming up on the team we've a very young team this year in Dublin I think we've we've maybe three or four of them who are doing leave inserts this year and they're looking at colleges to go to they have an opportunity now, they're in a squad, they probably have players in the squad who've been to virtually every college they're gonna consider, so they have the opportunity to go and you know chat to all those girls. Well, what did you think of this college? What supports do they give you? How was your experience playing under that manager in there? Whatever it might be. Same thing with girls coming up, graduating, looking to go into graduate programs or internships. Maybe they have connections with somebody who's already working in, in, in some field they'd like to go into and they can get a, get a taste of it before they start. Um, so I think, yeah, I think there's endless benefits um, mm-hmm. across other areas of life. And I think that that's something the GAA are good for, you know, um, is is helping people out in that regard. And I guess there's an understanding there that you're putting a huge amount of time and energy and effort in in with an intercounty team. So be an employment or be a college, knowing that you're going into an environment where somebody else has done it and balanced it with playing sport or they've received the understanding they need to still be able to play sport, it's going to be... Uh, it's going to be reassuring for you, I guess, if you're going to follow the same follow the same route.
0: Very good. It's um, no, like there's 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 loads in there, and, and thank you for sharing that. I suppose if I was to pivot to it and then say, like, what are the main challenges that Camogie players are facing at the moment in terms of the GA?
1: Yeah, well, uh, there's been a big conversation, I guess, already this year, you know, about the prospect of amalgamation between Camogie and the LGFA and the GAA. Um, and it's, it's something that I, I have a <laughs> very one-sided view on. You know, I think amalgamation would be fantastic, um, especially for Camogie. One of the huge challenges that we face as Camogie players is that we, we, we're not entitled to any of the resources of the GAA. Um, we're a separate association, we're a separate organisation I think that's something that's misunderstood a lot of the time by people maybe outside the organisation who, who comment on it or who comment on you know what we have or what we provide our players Like we don't have the resources as an organisation to pay the expenses that the GAA plays their players we just don't, we, do, we don't have the pitches to provide the same facilities to our teams that the GAA do or even that the LGFA do so, you know, there's, there's uproar and there's argument from a lot of people when me as a Dublin Camogie player, I played in Crow Park this year. It's, this is the first time in 10 years of playing with Dublin that I've ever played in Crow Park. And there's a lot of people that were giving out about it and saying, you know, it should be happening every year. We should be in there all the time. But the reality of the situation is Camogie is a separate association. We, we have no affiliation to Crow Park, really. We're, you know, we're relying on the good nature of the GAA to, to lend it to us. Um, if we could amalgamate as an organisation, then it's a completely different story. Well, th- well, then we are part of the GAA and the GAA do have an obligation to be providing us with pitches. But until that happens, all that Dublin Camogie County Board can do is, is go and ask GAA pitches, well, can we use your, your facility? Will you lend it to us? Can we rent it off you? Is it available? Um, and Dublin County Camogie Boards you know, are, are, are in a better position than a lot of Camogie County Boards, really. you know, We're, we're very lucky in Dublin with a lot of supports that we get uh, a lot of our sponsors do put us under the same umbrella as LGFA and the GAA, so we we benefit a lot from that, um, and and we're fortunate. But there's there's a lot of Camogie teams that are that are worse off that don't have that kind of umbrella sponsorship or that don't have the same facilities to draw on that we do. So you know, the county boards get in trouble sometimes for 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 not having you know, perfect standards and, and perfect playing conditions for players and I, they, they'll tell you I'm the first to give out a lot of the time if I, think they've done, if I think they've done something wrong or they could have done something more. But, like, really, their hands are tied to an extent, you know. They're fighting an uphill battle the same way every Camogie County board is across the country because um, we're, we're relying on, on the good nature of, of the other two associations and if we could come together under one umbrella, then I think it would just change the dynamic completely for Camogie players especially.
0: Yeah and then in terms of uh, you, obviously the word amalgamation was mentioned a couple of times there Ashling and then you've obviously been around in terms of with, with the GPA combining with the WGPA just to become one single organization association has that been a positive development and also kind of like opened up kind of some players eyes or perspective in terms of the benefit of coming together like that has that been a positive a positive thing
1: Yeah I think I think it definitely has um, and it's something that happened relatively quickly as well. I mean, to be fair, the WGPA, initially, especially from, from my perspective, because obviously I've been involved with them longest, have always been fantastic at you know, spearheading um, the views, the concerns of players, the needs of players, um, and getting that across um, to the people who can make a difference and, and make change happen. And when the conversation around amalgamation with the GPA first started, I do think there was probably a little bit of hesitance hesitancy in the parts of some female members purely because you know you wonder well are we are we going to sacrifice control and are, are are we giving up our voice by joining with what is a bigger and more established association as the gpa but at the end of the day like in my eyes it's it's the same sport we're the same players it, it makes sense for us all to come together as, as a unified voice we have a much stronger voice and um, you know for for us individually as players um, and for each sport individually if we can if we can combined together as we have done not only is there more resources and more facilities then across all four codes for the players who need them but if there is an issue or if somebody needs to speak up then as a unified unified voice across all four codes we also have more strength behind what we're saying um and i think that that's been exemplified really well in in the last couple of years i think it's it's maybe 18 months now since that merger between the wgpa and the gpa and as a female playing member within that time you know in a from a practical perspective, what, what that's meant is not only is any issue that we bring or that we raise as a GPA now stronger and, and, and echoed by more voices, but also from a practicality perspective, um, things like college scholarships have been um, made available to all female players for the first time this year. You know, this is the first year we didn't have to have a, a competitive selective process to choose who gets scholarships and who doesn't. That would have always been the case for the men that, you know, anybody playing at third level and playing inter would have had a scholarship. Now, for the first time, we were able to offer that to female members as well. So, you know, that, that's, that's a huge development for us um, to be able to offer that to, to ladies Gaelic footballers and camogie players.
0: Definitely, you know, like it sounds like it's, it's so simplistic and I think because the lads have been getting that for so long it's somewhat sometimes taken for granted. But just to get that, it's a very practical and simple way to support a player on their own journey off the field. Um, and making sure that they are empowered to, you know, as well as obviously stay in the game and t- do benefit from all the things we talked about earlier, but also to develop themselves as individuals, both in terms of career and education, and trying to find that, I suppose, the sport life balance that many of us look for, seek for, sometimes fail to get. Um, but having that support that makes it a tangible thing to work towards, and I suppose, like on that note, if I was stepping away from the stepping away from st- stuff on the field at the moment and just like focusing on yourself. I know you're, as well as a Komodo player, you're an artist as well, right?
1: Well, yeah, I don't know if I quite go as far as giving myself that title, but I, I, I do, I do a bit of art, all right, yeah.
0: I suppose I was just curious as to like, I mentioned sports life balance there. I'd seen stuff online that you'd been, as far as I'm concerned, if it's on Instagram, it's true. So um, (laughs) no, I'd seen that you're like, you do some. you're you're doing some stuff like charcoal art and that kind of stuff. And I suppose I was just curious as to like how important having an outlet like that is away from all the stuff we have talked about, both good and bad, just to have a space for yourself to reconnect, unwind, how beneficial that is for you. And even remind me of, I had done a podcast with Kevin McManaman before and he, he kind of described in terms of the mu- music that music was kind of an mm-hmm. outlet for him I was just very curious what your relationship was with that and how it benefits you
1: Yeah, yeah I I'd agree in that outlet is probably it's probably a good word to use um, and I guess like for me personally my relationship with art has, has changed a lot over the years um, it would have always been something that I was interested in you know from when I was a kid um, I would have really enjoyed drawing and painting and that sort of stuff and I guess I I kind of dabbled in and out of it uh, most of the time growing up, and then I kind of when I was in transition year in school, um, I had a little bit more time, and I was starting to play. I was starting to play a, a lot of Kamobi. That would have been around the time that I kind of started playing senior in in Vincent's, and would have been looking to break into the, the senior inter county team and stuff like that as well. And I started going to uh, kind of a, a, an art group uh, once a week. It was on a Wednesday evening for three hours. And uh, I kind of felt like it was the only three hours that I could uh, get away from from everything else that was happening. And it was a real, it was a real stereotypical artistic environment where you know you could come or go as you wanted, and you could do as much or as little as you wanted, and anything that you felt like doing you could do. And I, I enjoyed, I guess, the expressive aspect of that. And you know, there's a lot of a lot of training at a high level that's very structured, it's very disciplined, it's very black and white in terms of what's expected and, and what's needed and, and and what's left behind. And um, I guess art contrasted that for me in a lot of ways. Um, so I got back into it then at around that time, whatever age I would have been, maybe 15 or 16. Um, and I kept it going for a couple of years throughout the end of school and into college. And then as I kind of uh, got maybe halfway through college, I just ran out of time for it, just everything else. I started playing, you know, more seriously inter-county and being in college and other things, uh, social life and everything probably, well, whatever's left of a social life probably took over. And I fell away from it then for a few years again. And it was really um, the start of COVID that I kind of found myself with more time. Obviously, any, any team sport player will have experienced that to go from training however many times a week with a team to suddenly... Being trying to motivate yourself to do all your own sessions on your own and, 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 and losing um, losing that team motivation, I guess, and also gaining a lot more free time in terms of, you know, there, was, there wasn't the same time commitment for traveling to and from games and traveling to and from trainings and everything else. So that was when, I guess, I went back to it again, um, probably nearly three years ago at this stage. Um, and, yeah, I guess all those same points that I made still appeared true. You know, I was able to just lose myself in the process of of drawing for, for a couple of hours at a time. And it, it gave me a focus um, away from Komogi or something different that I could concentrate on while Komogi wasn't really available as an outlet to me at that time. And um, it's nice to have that other part of, you know, you're talking about yourself as a person away from the sport. It's, it's nice to have another part to your identity as a person away from GAA. I think that's important. So um, I've kind of made a conscious effort to not let that slip this time around when things get busy and we get into championship season again. Um, obviously, that's easier said than done, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna gonna try and keep kind of try and keep it keep it going as long as I can.
0: Yeah, like, I'm, what is it about the creative process on on like on the art front? I know, say when we talk about sport, we can talk about uh, the word process will always be thrown out, but it's mm-hmm. like as you said, there's kind of structure to it, or you have a role in a team, or there's certain things to focus on. I suppose the process on in, in an like from a, an artistic or creative perspective is kind of different. So I was just kind of curious, like. You as someone who's dabbling in both of those, like kind of concurrently, like what you appreciate more about the more creative side of it, and how that benefits you as a person.
1: Yeah, I guess for me, the difference with art is that I can I can probably get lost in it a little bit more. I don't know if that makes sense or not. Um, than you can with hurling. Like if if you're training, if you're doing a drill, even if I'm at hit and freeze, you have to continuously bring yourself back to where you are. Focus on your you know, quote-unquote process of what you're doing from a hurling perspective, you have to be very aware and very in the moment, you know, all the time, with the exception of maybe going out and playing a match for 60 minutes where you, you become a little bit more lost in the process. But really, I would find with hurling and stuff, there's there's a, an intention and a focus to everything you do the whole time. Um, for me, I guess, in contrast with, with, with drawing, you know, I, I do a lot of kind of portrait drawing and a lot of... um kind of replication of photographs and stuff and um, so a lot of the time when I'm drawing I'm, I'm trying to recreate something and I can get very lost in specific details or in trying to recreate a specific look or shape or feel or whatever it might be but you, you you can do that in whatever way you want and you can kind of get as lost as you want to within that process and um it's just it's less structured I guess in its feel and um you're doing it on your own, so you've not got somebody else, you know, looking over your shoulder or checking or reminding you that you put that one wide or you should have done something else with the last ball or whatever it might be. So I guess it's a, it's a freer space and it, it contrasts um, the feeling I get when I train and I play. And obviously living in Ireland, the weather's a little bit better when you can draw inside versus when you have to go out and train uh, for for most of the year. So I, I guess, uh, yeah, it's, it's just... Uh, it's it's just a, it's a it's a different feeling and it's a different experience um, for me. I I enjoy the balance of the two.
0: Yeah, I totally like. I totally get where you're coming from and kind of and how you describe it there. Kind of correct me if I'm wrong here, but like, is when you're working on that side, like, is is that helping you more or less get into like a flow state where you're just present and kind of in something?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's a good way to phrase it.
0: No, it's so interesting. It's um, you know, we always talk about like, the kind of the, the person and athlete and just trying to find balance or it's like we all need escapism at different times and having something like that must be something that it's, it it is like, it's supposed it's something to appreciate, to be grateful for. But one of the things I was going to ask because I know over the years when you're talking to players and talking to different athletes, like sometimes their athletic identity becomes so strong Mm-hmm. that like they're almost afraid to then dip back into something they used to do or maybe try something new because we all have our egos and our confidence and it's like well these people know me for that so I'm worried if I go and do that like will there be judgment will I be fit like will I fail mm-hmm. um I'm just curious was there did you ever go through any variation of that in terms of should I just stay in my lane here and and stick at that and it was it something you had to push yourself to go and do again
1: yeah, I, I suppose you could argue I probably still am from me trying to correct you at the start there when you tried to yeah. call me an artist. I was going to come back to
0: that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, I'm not getting away with that that easy, I'd say. But <laughs> um, yeah, I guess, look, you know, camogie is something that I'm comfortable in. As you said, it's something I've done for a long time, so I kind of have a, a defined identity, I guess, within that regard that I'm happy with or I'm comfortable with. And, and definitely, for me, There's there's aspects of, you know, of... Art and considering myself "quote unquote" artist that I do still still struggle with or struggle to accept, um, and it depends on what way you look at it. Like when I do art as as a hobby and as something I enjoy and as something that I'm doing because I, I want to do it, then that's easier. When I'm doing it as as you know, if somebody wants to commission me to do a piece or if if I'm if I'm doing something with the intention of well, oh, maybe I can sell this, then then I definitely struggle with that a little bit more. Um, I don't know whether or not part of that is like when you have an identity as a GAA player, you nearly struggle with feeling like a bit of a fraud when you when you try and say, well, actually, I'm also this as well, or I'm also that as well. So I, I do definitely think that that's something that's that's tricky to navigate and. I'm. I'm not going to tell you the solution to it because I'm not sure I've got it figured out myself yet. But I think for me, the, the the balance that I have with it at the minute is just that you know I can acknowledge it as something that I enjoy. I think it it complements my life, like we discussed. It it offers me something different than GAA does, and it, it brings a little bit of balance um, to my life. And if it's something that I enjoy and it's something that I feel um, is helpful to me in other areas, then you know maybe I maybe I don't need to strictly define it. Um, I don't need to necessarily introduce myself as an artist. I can just <laughs> do the bit of art on the side as well, you know? You said
0: there, like you said when you are being, if you, like, so I'm presuming that you have been commissioned or done some paid stuff before based on what you said there. Um, and you said you're kind of struggling with that kind of, I'm just curious as to like what that struggle is or kind of what you think goes on there that kind of your your internal voice or your self-talk tries to pull up the handbrake on you or tries to tell you not to do something. Um what do you what do you think's driving that, or what things like where do you think that comes from?
1: Yeah, I, it's a number of things, I guess, and uh, like it probably comes back partly to that that exact conversation of you know if you want to charge somebody for art that you're doing, you need to consider yourself an artist, or you know if someone wants to pay you for art you're doing, you're probably nearly by definition coming an artist and. Uh, that's as we've established something that i struggle a little bit with so um while i love the idea of being able to create something for somebody that they like i get awkward then about you know if i'm charging them for something or if they're paying me for something i'm not i'm not as good at that side of it and um, i think part of that and uh, you know maybe other people will disagree with me here i think part of that comes down to to being female as well i think that that men are better than women are at that at kind of you know backing themselves for something that they're good at and and acknowledging a talent that they have, and if somebody else wants to pay them for it, they're they're quicker to accept it. Um, I think that you know probably Irish people and then women on top of that are are, are worse at, at at acknowledging something that they can do, and they're 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 quicker to maybe cut themselves down or pull themselves back to earth. Um, and then yeah, like like we've mentioned, I guess when you when you have an identity already kind of established in one area for for me within Camogie or within GAA. Um, Maybe you know you don't you don't want to be seen like you're stepping out of your lane or like you're like you're taking on something else that that you're maybe not as established at or not as confident in or you haven't been doing for as long. Um, so I think just navigating that mindset is 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 something maybe that uh, that I've taken a while to come to terms with and to 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 try and get my head around. Um, but well, I guess there becomes a point as well where you you can't you, you'd very quickly have a full time job drawing things and just giving them away if you weren't going to charge anyone for them either. So that forces you maybe to reevaluate it a little bit as well. Yeah, I mean, I appreciate your honesty there in terms
0: of working through that. And I know, like the GPA, do so many work with players trying to if it's either career progression, setting up their own business, and what you're describing there is just part of that annual and then. I feel like another part of it is, you know, sometimes when we're good at something then the world just wants to label us as a, an artist or as an athlete or whereas usually we're all, we're all a bit of, well, certainly you are probably a bit of both and, and more, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's such a, just, it's, it's important thing to acknowledge. I just wanted to cover with you because I know lots of other players have been listening to this and just kind of in terms of when you're good at something, but also having the courage and having like the the open mind is to go and do other things that you're passionate about and kind of in search of that balance and balancing up different parts of your life
1: yeah um, yeah absolutely and i think actually if anything i uh, sorry not to cut across you no, there go but ahead it's it's ironic because i think for for players in gaa it, it should nearly be the opposite you know because uh if anything for me say coming out as an artist like i have a I have an established network there and I have a group of people who do already who already know me or whoever who already associate me with GAA. So, you know, like I do a lot of I do a lot of hurling portraits and, and if anything, um my connections and, and my knowledge within the game complements that and, and and makes it easier for me to you know get my work out there get exposure with it a, a lot of the people who, who, who have commissioned me to do stuff it's been in a hurling context or it's been someone who's known me or known of me or has a connection with me through GAA so like if anything players should be should be exploiting that um, as opposed to shying away from it but um, I definitely think you know myself and I'm sure a lot of other players included find it difficult sometimes to, to get into that mind frame of, of thinking that way.
0: Yeah, um, no, I totally hear you. It's such an important point. And I said, I know like we've been doing this, this whole podcast here as part of the GPA's BO360 program, which is just helping players and other aspects of their life, empowering them to kind of maximize their strengths, their networks, their contacts, to pursue their passions. And it's not like, it's not a linear thing where someone we're going to get you a job in this place or you're going to go to college in this course. It's just trying to help people find what they do care about, what they are passionate about and help them along that path. And it usually happens in very different ways different ways um Mm -hmm. on on the gpa side of it ashton i know you were involved with the the lgbtq plus working group um i was just going to ask i I suppose you going to start with kind of tell us a little bit about where that group came from and why
1: yeah um well i suppose i'm a member of the lgbtq plus group myself um and obviously it was uh it was set up there by um, the GPA. One of the positions when we spoke earlier about the GPA and the WGPA merging and one of the positions that has become um, to, or has come to be within the GPA since that merger has happened has been uh, an inclusion and diversity manager. I, I hopefully have that title right there. But anyway, it's, it's, Gemma Begley is, is, is in that role now. And, you know, we've spoken already about the importance of equality for Komogi versus the LGFA versus the GA. And I suppose... For me, this is just—it's another string to the same bow. It's—it's it's, it's all the same arguments that exist for for the first conversation we had are, are true here as well. And um, I guess, from my perspective, you know, I I do think that Kamogi and the LGFA this is this is one of the few areas maybe that we're a little bit ahead of the GAA is our is our acceptance of LGBTQ plus players or our, our 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 ability to allow them to be their whole selves and bring their whole selves to a team environment and. You know, we, we've we touched a little bit already on the demands and the commitments that are required to play senior intercounty GAA. And um, from my own personal experience, I played for uh, probably four or five years with the Dublin senior camogie team before I came out. Um, and part of that was me and getting my own head straight and deciding where I wanted to be myself. But um, I definitely had a kind of a short-term experience of being out and knowing that I was gay and not knowing whether or not I could talk to my teammates about it, how that would go, what that might look like. You know, not seeing really very many players go before me within within Camogie or within Dublin Camogie who had been out. And, you know, I think that there is aspects of that, that that could have been easier for me if there had been more obvious role models who were comfortable in who they were and, and how they felt. And if I could have seen their acceptance... Um, I think there was aspects of that that that, might have been easier for me. Um, And I think that that's still the case within the GAA. Um, I would hypothesise that there are plenty of young boys growing up with aspirations to play senior inter-county. And I'd imagine that if if I was a young guy looking to play, you know, hurling with my county or football with my county, that it might be a little bit daunting or a little bit intimidating to know that there's no current out male players within the game. Um, it might just make you question the environment a little bit or your acceptance a little bit. So I think that it's really important for us as an organisation, the GPA, and then for GAA, Camogie and LGFA to establish our position as an inclusive environment and, and somewhere where, you know, if players are going to come and commit however many hours a day and a week and a year to a team, you want them to be able to do that in being their whole self and not in hiding something from somebody or feeling like they have to hold something back or they have to act a certain way or they have to be a certain way. So I guess that was my motivation to, to, to make a short story long. That was, that was my motivation for getting involved. I just think it's really important that we um, make obvious to young players coming up our position as a, as a collective of senior inter-county players that, that we are accepting and that we won't accept um, anything less than allowing every single player to be who they authentically are.
0: There's so much of what you just said there and shared. Um, like, I suppose like coming back to yourself first, I think just and just so I kinda so I heard it right, like you had come out a couple of years previously in terms of friends and family, but in terms of the sport environment had you hadn't come out with your teammates, is that correct?
1: Not not even really. Um like not even that, that severe. I had so I, I had um not come out to myself for probably, you know, three or four years. Uh, I had previously been in a been in a straight relationship, and you know, been been very happy in myself in that relationship. And then it was only kind of after that ended, um, I had taken a year away from Dublin. At the time, I went and I went travelling, um, and it was kind of when I was away from from everybody and everything that this was something that I started to question myself and started to get my own head around. And it was when I came home then and got back to Dublin that you kind of realised that this is okay. This is something now that I've accepted and come to terms with myself. But suddenly I have to tell friends and family and at that point I wasn't playing with Dublin because I'd been away but after coming out to friends and family I knew I wanted to go back into the Dublin setup and I wanted to play with them Um, and at that point I guess you know I knew look if I'm going to go in I need to go back in and be authentically me I can't go in and and hide this part of myself from them so in going back into the team it was something that I'd accepted but not you know the last time I left I was straight and I was in a relationship with a guy and when I was going back in to play with them again um, i guess that was a change that i i knew i wanted to be honest and open about but even if you're accepting yourself it's it's still you probably make it a bigger deal nearly in your head wondering what other people might think or how they might react and um i guess that was something that i probably struggled more with before i told them than when i did you know um when i went in i was very fortunate the girls were were very understanding very supportive very accepting um you know, I, I said previously when, when we were talking about, um, results, this kind of thing, you know, there's a lot of people who, who'll kind of look at you and go, well, why are you telling me or why, why are you talking about this? I don't care. And in a lot of ways, that's, that's the best reaction you can get. And that's, that's where we want to be with all this stuff. We want to be at a point where, where nobody cares and nobody wants to talk about it. Um, but to get there, um, I think there's, there's a little bit more to be done yet, you know?
0: No, definitely like one, like 100%. Um, I know, like, when you, you said there, because I would read it in a previous interview you had done as well, you said about it, like, you'll so probably seem a bigger deal in your own head. And I think that's pretty much true for many people that go through, the, like, that experience and are going through that journey themselves. So it's kind of, I suppose, I was just curious as to kind of, you know, what was driving that and then what it was like to to talk to your teammates, come out to your teammates and kind of get that support then and kind of feel accepted, what, what that part of your journey was like.
1: Yeah, Well, I guess, like, I was caught a little bit before I came out because, you know, there had been players who played with uh, Dublin Kamogi before me who had been in gay relationships, and, you know, they kind of had varying experiences, to be honest with you, and none of them were absolutely horrific. You know, we we were a relatively good bunch of players, but there's a big difference between even just talking to somebody about your significant other or someone you're seeing or in a relationship with and, you know... um, people being receptive to that and asking questions and engaging versus just kind of cutting it off or not really talking about it or shying away from it. And some of that's an education piece and some of that's an exposure piece and some of that's, you know, a whole range of things. Um, but I guess I had seen a little bit of that with previous uh, with previous players on the team where it maybe just wasn't talked about or it maybe just wasn't addressed or, you know, a lot of people knew what was going on, but it wasn't really discussed. And um, I guess... For me, in my head, I was—I didn't want that. I didn't want to have to, you know, not speak about a partner. I didn't want to have to um, pretend that I wasn't in a relationship that I was in or, or anything like that. So that was one aspect of it that I was probably a bit anxious of. Um, and I guess, you know, in, in contrast, maybe in the defense of a lot of the girls in the team, um, they probably will will feed off what you give them. And the fact that... You know, I went in and was very open and honest about where I was at and, and, and what was important to me. And I spoke very openly about the relationship that I was in. It maybe made it easier for the girls then to ask me questions and to gauge, engage with me and chat away because I wasn't trying to hide anything or because I wasn't pretending to be somebody that I wasn't. Um, and I think maybe, you know, in hindsight, maybe that's, that's all that's needed sometimes um, is just to, to create that space to have the conversation and to kind of set that tone of well well I'm not I'm not gonna I'm not gonna make any crumbs about this or I'm not gonna hide anything and um I think that's it's easier said than done but I, I do agree with exactly how you phrased it there when you think about it beforehand before you speak to teammates or before you tell someone you can make something a huge deal in your own head because your your brain's going to go to worst case scenario, and what if this, and what if that, and what if the other straight away, and you can you can freak yourself out thinking of all these eventualities, and you know that that can be true for anything, not just coming out to a team. I think the vast majority of teams and the vast majority of teammates are, are there to to support players on the team, and they're there to support their friends, and you know nine times out of ten, or or more, ninety nine times out of a hundred, if you go and you're you're honest and authentic with with who you are. Um, people actually just want to support you and they just want to help you and if you're clear about what that help looks like or what that support looks like and what you need back from them then i think you're you're far more likely to get that and and probably save yourself a lot a lot of stress in the process as well you know
0: yeah no 100 percent. and i feel like like i was listening to you there too like i feel like sometimes we make the mistake that you know people talk about coming out and it's almost like, it's almost built up to this like big event, like this big, like mm-hmm. <laughs> like a big an ana- public announcement or an announcement. But I think like, it's important to know and like to acknowledge or that, like it's it's usually more of a process. Um, mm. Like I know one of the, like one of the articles I found found about the, like this when I was researching and just looking it up was just, um, they described it as a three-stage journey where like the first one was discovery, the second was acceptance and then the third one was integration. I feel like it just, I say those three things just for anyone listening to this, that may be at some point of that journey or at different stages of it. Um, that is a process and like you know, it's, it's a process that happens over time. But I suppose what I was just going to ask you around those kind of three stages of that discovery, acceptance, integra- integration, if that was something you'd come across before, if you feel like language like that's helpful for us, particularly if younger people are, anyone's listening to this.
1: Yeah, I, I do think it is. And, you know, I, I completely agree with you that it's a process. And, you know, the the funny thing is, I, I'm out, I think, maybe four years or more at this stage. And I'm, I'm still kind of coming out all the time, even though that sounds ridiculous. But you nearly feel like, you know, every time there's a new batch of players on the team or uh, a new member of management that comes in, or you meet somebody new in a working environment, you're nearly you're nearly feeling like you're coming out every time when you mention you know oh my girlfriend or this that or the other so it definitely isn't a tick the box and it's done and um, I guess the closer we get from that not having the closer we get to that not having to be a thing, the better in my eyes. You know, I don't I don't like having to to mention a girlfriend and watching for a reaction or subconsciously wondering if a tone has changed when I'm talking to somebody or whatever it might be. So, um, I do think that acceptance, first of all, around it being a, it being a process is is something that's encouraging um, or is something that's helpful. Um, and I, I I would agree. Yeah, like the the exact terminology to be used. I mean. I'm not sure I'm qualified to say, but definitely the language you're using there around, you know, accepting something yourself and then, you know, progressing through that phase of finally being able to integrate it into your life and and, and telling different people. Um, I know for me, it it definitely wasn't to just come out to everybody and I'm done. You know, there was probably the guts of a year between telling the first people I told and the last people I told, um, all of whom were very close to me, but just for, for various reasons, I felt ready or able to tell some people before others. Um, and I think it's very important that people do that at their own pace and at their own speed. And, you know, you're talking there and, and rightfully so about um, trying to make it easier for somebody who might be going through that situation to accept it themselves or get their own head around it. Another thing I'd say is, you know, the the role of allies in this is, is huge. And, and in a lot of ways, this isn't a problem for LGBTQ plus people, it's it's a problem for straight people. Um, and what I mean by that is, is not that they have to go out and, and, and fix everything, but they have a huge role to play. And, you know, if, if somebody comes to you um, within a team environment or a friend, I, I would always encourage that you're respectful of what's said to you in terms of if somebody comes out to you, don't take that to be public information or, or don't take that to be shared. Now, it could be a situation where somebody could come to you and say, look, I don't want to have to go around and tell the whole team, can you just get it done for me, <laughs> so to speak, and, you know, kind of take that burden off. And if that's the case, fair enough. But outside from that, I think it's really important that, you know, we create a space where people feel they can come out little by little and, and like you're saying, integrate that decision into their life at at a pace that they're comfortable with. And, and, and the more um, that straight allies can accept that, um, then I think the easier it'll be it'll be for gay people
0: coming out no i totally like and, and thank you for saying that i feel like it's important that like this is like this is for our communities for our clubs for our society for for counties countries towns like this is mm. like it's because it's people you know um and it's for all of us and i feel like that's like so in terms of what the working group has been set up to do and kind of representing that and pushing forward that that ideal of inclusivity and diversity um like it's it's so important and i think it's so important to have people like yourself sit in those working groups like young people active people vibrant people um just normalizing i suppose conversations like we're trying to have now Mm -hmm. um like someone might be listening to this that could feel comfortable to take a piece out of it and talk to someone else about it and just that ripple effect out you know but then i do feel it's important that it's backed up by a strategic action that it's not just sometimes we fall into the trap of you know or we're just raising awareness about something but and that's great but but hey what are we actually doing after that too mm-hmm. um, yeah absolutely like i suppose looping back around looping back around to that in terms of i mentioned at the beginning of, of this part of the conversation of that the survey was carried out last month by the working group correct yeah um and i was just going to call out a couple of i just i think i had three kind of results from the survey here and i just I'll call them out for anyone that's listening and then maybe we'll just have a little conversation about it further but of the survey that was done, there was ninety nine percent said they would support a teammate that came out. There was six nine percent of female participants knew of a of a teammate under intercounty team who was LGBTQ, whereas it was just ten percent of males. Um, and then I think the last one, I ha- the last one I have there was where players are aware of a teammate from the plus community over 8 and 10 feel a player would not face prejudice or discrimination if they come out. So I suppose just kind of throwing that out there, you are part of the working group, seeing these results. What's your kind of top-level thoughts or feedback on what I've called out?
1: Yeah, well, look, overall, I think it's encouraging. Um, I think it's really encouraging that this survey was done to begin with, you know, not just within the GAA, but within elite-level sports in Ireland. I think there's a lack of, of research um, within LGBTQ plus... Trends and perspectives uh, within a high level sport across the country. And, you know, I mentioned earlier the GPA have, have, have been incredible in spearheading a lot. Um, and I think this is another area where the GPA and the GAA can, can really lead, not just within our own association, not just within our own association, but, you know, within sport in the country in general. I think it would be a really powerful statement for us to to accumulate this this piece of research with a really strong standpoint as to you know what we accept and, uh, and what we expect from from playing members um from senior county right down to grassroots you know um and I think that we're seeing a lot of a lot of positive feedback from that you know straight away the 99% of people would support a a teammate who came out hopefully that's a very encouraging stat for anybody to see who, who any young players coming up who are who are looking to play inter county, you know, knowing that ninety nine percent of people that you come across will will be respectful and, and encouraging and supportive, um, should be hugely encouraging for them. Definitely from my own experience, I, I can echo that's a felt a felt stat on on my end. Um, I think you know another one you mentioned was. 50% of players um, expect that a teammate would be supported and encouraged and then that jumps up to 80-something percent when, when they know someone who's gone through the experience. I think I do think that's an encouraging stat because I think what it says is that although there might be that kind of hesitancy or that reluctance from some players not knowing whether or not it's going to be a supportive or inclusive environment, for those that have seen a teammate do it or maybe for those that have done it themselves, they're recounting that, no, actually, it is It is an inclusive environment. It is a supportive environment. I am I am feeling that, you know, um, I am feeling that from my teammates. I am feeling that I'm, I'm able to authentically be myself here. So I think that stat in itself is is encouraging. Um, obviously, the, the third stat you mentioned, about 69% of uh, female players um, knowing of a teammate who was out versus 10% in the male game. Look, there's a, there's a couple of things there. I said at the start that my own personal bias or perspective on this is that Camogie and LGFA is probably still ahead of the GAA. I think that probably confirms that it, it might well be the case. Um, the fact that there's 10% of male players who, who do feel confident and comfortable to come out to a friend or a teammate, that's brilliant if that's the case, you know. And it's not something that needs to be public, it's not something that that players need to be ready to bring to newspapers or radios or headlines tomorrow. You know, that's that's a big step for any person to make and for whatever male player does end up doing that, it's going to be it's going to be a very brave move for them to take on. But in the meantime, it's great to see that that there are players who are happy being out within their own teams. I do think, as an association, we probably have to ask the question of of, of why those players only feel comfortable within their own teams and they don't feel comfortable, you know, being out more public and that's publicly and that's not to put the responsibility back on any individual player. But I think that asks the question of us as. As a playing body um, and as an association of is is there more we can do that would make those people feel more comfortable um, and more confident? And I do think that you know maybe maybe this goes back to the point of in the interim maybe the onus is on is on straight allies as opposed to on gay playing members. Like if we acknowledge that it'd be a huge step for any single individual male member to step up and come out as, as gay then why can't we have straight allies standing up and coming out publicly and saying you know i'm absolutely in support of this and i absolutely think that this is this is imperative that we support that we support any of our teammates who are gay and i think it's it, it's look it's a, it's a difficult uh, it's a difficult area for straight allies to navigate as well and I, I i don't mean to suggest that it's easy for them to do but i think that's one thing we can do as a working group and as an association is is create a space that those people can come into where they can express support and they can express, you know, a, a want to to be there for teammates and, and to create that inclusive atmosphere. Um, I think that, you know, if we can involve people like that more, then you create an environment where people don't feel they're outing themselves just by being involved. So, you know, if I'm a young playing member who's maybe questioning my sexuality and I want to get involved with some LGBTQ plus activities that are going on, but I feel like, oh, well, only gay people go to that, then... Am I going to out myself by attending? Whereas if we can create an environment where you know if the gaA marches in pride and sixty percent of the players there are straight, well then suddenly that's a much easier and more accepting place for me to go if I'm questioning my sexuality um, so in that in that regard, I think you know we have to put a little bit of the onus back on on, on straight playing members here and in order to expect them to, to take that on, we have to create an environment that they can come into as well. So that's something that I'm hoping we can do from here on, here with, here on in with the working group is, you know, use those stats to say, OK, exactly as you've said, there's, there's good theory there, there's good evidence there. Now let's go and back it up with, with real tangible actions and plans. And um, I'd love to see, I'd love to see particularly on the male side, some of the, some of the straight uh, male players at the top of the game standing up and very publicly and, and very vocally creating a space um, that's encouraging and inclusive uh, of of any of the gay players particularly in the males game but across across all codes.
0: No I totally hear you and like from the male perspective Ashley, like definitely agree in terms of the public facing stuff and speaking outwardly and helping if be it if campaigns and pride marches working with the working group to kind of drum up some some noise and like in a positive way and proactive way. I suppose what I would ask you as well is, in terms of male sports teams, what can we learn from female counterparts in terms of the dressing room culture and language and the inner dynamics of a changing room? Um, just based on those numbers that we've talked about, there's, there clearly is some sort of a difference there and, and males have catching up to do in this regard. Um, so yeah. just if you had any kind of suggestions or or any input as to kind of what would help accelerate that forward, I mean, I know I would love to hear and I'm sure our listeners would too.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's a great question. And look, at the end of the day, you know, I'm not a gay or a straight guy in, in, a, in a male dressing room. So I guess I'm guessing as much as the next person is here, but I don't think it's any secret that, you know, Male kind of locker room, locker room banter talk is uh, is is definitely something that could potentially feel homophobic or could feel exclusive, exclusionary. Um, if you were a gay guy playing in an intercounty team, and I think that the part around education there is really important. Like we've seen from these survey results that across male and female playing uh, groups, we have ninety nine percent support saying they would support a, a, a male a male or female gay teammates if they were to come out. So players want to be supportive or they they want to, you know, be there for their teammates, but maybe the education isn't there around the language that they're using or the jokes that they're making or, you know, the way that they're conducting themselves in a locker room. And a lot of the time, I, I think that, you know, when we're seeing these results from the GPA, maybe we do have to give to give benefit of the doubt to the players here as well. Maybe they don't realise what they're doing wrong. You know, I know from, from my own experience, and it's different, but, you know, I, I catch the girls sometimes using language that they shouldn't use or saying things they shouldn't use, and, you know, you'll make a half joke and comment at them, and they'll go, oh, Sorry, sorry, sorry. I didn't mean to say that. I didn't mean it like that. I didn't mean it like that. And you know, they don't. It's it's just it's a cultural thing and it's a it's it's a learned thing. We have to actively unlearn it and you know, it's really important um that we educate against it. And again, you know, the GPA are doing great work in this area. They they obviously run their their rookie camp every year for for new players joining senior intercounty panels. Um, and I spoke to a number of them going in this year about the importance of kind of being aware of LGBTQ plus players and, you know, the language we use and bringing our whole selves to, to training and, and this sort of stuff. And, you know, the, that's a step in the right direction. It's a start. Is it going to fix the problem? No, of course not. But the more we can have these conversations that you and I are having here and the more that we can be aware of it and the more that those of us who are in a position to do so can call out language when it's used in you know an incorrect context whether or not it's intentional then the more of an inclusive environment we can create and the safer an environment we can create for for players who are in that position where they're you know a little bit conscious of somebody slagging something off calling a gay or whatever it might be you know there, there, there are minor changes that need to be made but if you're somebody who's feeling the effects they can make a huge difference you know um, and I, I, I do just think like the simple things of raising awareness of education, of just being conscious of, of what you're doing and what you're saying and how you're conducting yourself. And um, they can, those things can really add up uh, in a, in a team environment and in a locker room environment.
0: No, it's just, there's, there's so much important stuff in there, Ashley, And like, obviously thank you again for, for sharing that. Cause I know the work that the working group are doing is clearly so important and it will help like any of these bigger style of problems. They're really just fixed overnight or just like get tied up because someone publishes a, a four-point plan or a couple of pages in a strategic document. But I think what's jumping out to me there is, yes, awareness, and we talked about awareness earlier, absolutely is a starting point. But the phrase that kind of jumped out at me when you when you spoke there was actively unlearning because we all say stuff and have done stuff and it comes out of us even before you realize. But it's actually learning from that, reflecting on it. As you said, sometimes you need someone to call you on it or just to poke it back and get actually that one would be better not using that word or using something else or a phrase is that it's it's built into language and culture. So you're trying to actively unlearn, and then when we're that far into the process, then it's easier to choose better words, better sayings, better reactions. Um, and I, I and I know like what the, the group are trying to do and to put and pushing that forward. Like I, th- I think it's so important. Before I kind of pivot off that and kind of go into the, just the last couple minutes of the conversation, Ashley, I was just going to say like if someone if someone is listening to this and they're struggling with their sexuality or their gender identity. What advice would you have to them in terms of either supports or working through that um, and trying to point them in the right direction?
1: Yeah, the the first thing I'd say, regardless of who it is and what the issue is, is just to talk to somebody. Um, I, you know, we touched on it earlier with, with uh, speaking about coming out of teams and I think it applies to this and to anything else. If something's eating away at you, if something's in your head, if someone's something's occupying your mind space, just talk to somebody, just air it because, you know, as human beings, I think we go to worst case scenario automatically and, and the more something's in your head, the better you become at making that worst case scenario even worse and even worse and even worse. And really, nine times out of 10, when you air something or when you speak to somebody you straight away alleviate a little bit of that problem simply just by verbalizing it and realizing that actually it's maybe not as all as encompassing as it felt when it was in my head. And um, that's been true for me, not just about coming out, but about anything really um, that's preoccupied my mind space. And I, I think there's a lot of other people who'll, who'll testify to it. Um, so whether that's a teammate, whether that's you know somebody who's involved in your GAA setup. Whether that's an anonymous helpline, you know, I know the GPA have have helplines there the whole time that you can contact, and, and there's there's plenty more uh, nationally. Obviously, you know, um, belong to is one of the, one of the national services there that'll provide support as well. Whoever the person is that you need to talk to or that you can trust, just go and speak and and get things out. And look, that's that's not a commitment to change anything in the way you live. You can in the way you live, you can go and talk to somebody and go. Actually, do you know what? Never mind. <laughs> I changed my mind about that. I, I don't think so anymore. You know, but as soon as you start to get things, get things verbalized and get things out in the open, I think you can you can gain a clearer perspective. And I think as soon as you can be open and honest with somebody you know and somebody you trust, um, and if you can get that kind of positive reaction out of somebody, or just get that bit of confirmation from somebody that look, you know, this is okay, or we can get over this, or we can talk about this or so we can get through it then it, it's a massive weight off your shoulders to, to go from feeling like you have to hide something or you have to keep it to yourself to just get into a point where Somebody, regardless of whether it's somebody close to you or not, can say maybe this isn't as big a deal as you think it is, and you know, hopefully, within the LGFA and Camogie, at least we're getting to a point where if it is an issue of coming out, there's more and more girls who will at least know somebody on their team who who's maybe gone through it before them and they can speak to, um, and I think that's a great position to be in. I, I hope that provides um, reassurance and you know a, a safe space for for a lot of players coming up. And as we've mentioned, hopefully, we'll see more of it in the mail in the mail side but yeah that that would be uh, in short that would that would be my answer is just to find somebody you can open up to and speak to um and not to take it on yourself because you you'll you'll make it 10 times worse than it ever actually will be by just thinking about it in your own head okay
0: no thank you for that um look I'm just looking like I'm conscious of time here as well I just kind of we spent the, last, the guts of the last hour or so talking about camogie about art about creative processes. <laughs> The work of the LGBTQ community and, the, or sorry, the working group. I suppose I just wanted to finish with, in terms of, I was going to say your life outside of all of that is uh, just in terms of, of work and education. I know I'm right in saying you're currently studying for your second master's, am I?
1: You are. Yeah, that's correct. What are you studying? Uh, I'm doing pharmaceutical quality assurance and regulation at the minute. That's that's the second master's. I did uh, business and entrepreneurship was the last one. Okay.
0: So I was just going to ask you, kind of, what kind of drove you to do those two, and then how is that kind of manifested or coming across into business and work life?
1: I suppose that that answer depends on whether or not you've another hour now <laughs> to listen to me to listen to me talk on. Um, but I'll, I'll try and give you the short version anyway. <laughs> um, so I guess uh, my undergraduate was in medicinal chemistry, so I did that in Trinity between. 2014 and 2018 um, and then I finished in college and I went went away traveling for a while um, and I came back and I started working in in business in with KPMG and um, so having done a degree in chemistry I, I started working a job in business which didn't make didn't make a huge amount of sense but it was just kind of the way things happened at the time and um, so I worked in there for kind of the guts of a year and whilst being in there um they were DIT at the time, They're, or maybe they were TUD at the time. They used to be DIT anyway. They Now, TU Dublin had uh, approached me and said, you know, they knew I was doing the doing the work in business and um, that my like academic qualifications were in a science area. So they had said, you know, would you have any interest in coming back and, and doing the Masters and, and getting the academic qualification in that area and obviously playing the bit of camogie as well. So um, I decided to do that. So I kind of had gone into the, the business job more so because it was, it was convenient at the time. I'd come back from traveling and I had no money left and uh, I had uh, I, I had the opportunity to go in there. So I decided to go in and, and, and to try it out. Um, so I, I had left in there. I went back in, did the Business and Entrepreneurship Masters in TUD, um, kind of with probably the intention that I was always ultimately going to go back more towards the, the science and chemistry area. But... Um, Somebody had said to me when I was starting out my education and I, I was doing medicinal chemistry as a degree that you're 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 only as tall as you are broad. I think is the phrase that was used. And you know, very often when people do kind of academic science routes, they end up down in in PhDs where you can uh, learn an incredible amount about an incredibly specific subject, and your knowledge outside of that can 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 fall off pretty quickly. So. Um, I guess part of my reason for doing it was I wanted to go in and, and, and play camogie with TUD you know they had a good up and coming camogie team in there obviously getting the opportunity to go in and study with them was going to allow me to focus quite heavily on playing camogie for, for another year you know it's, it's fast becoming a Fast becoming a student's game or a teacher's game, I think, and you know, having the opportunity to to apply that much more time to it was attractive. And then, at the same time, obviously, pharmaceutical companies are are businesses at the end of the day. So I felt getting some kind of a accreditation in business would maybe help my career progression later down the line um, within within kind of science as well. Um, so yeah, I finished I finished that master's in twenty twenty. I think, yeah, 2020, I finished that Master's. Um, and off the back of that then, um, I set up a start-up with two of, uh, two of my classmates at the time, uh, one of whom was Faye McCarthy, who was also playing Dublin Senior Camogie, uh, and another of whom was Stephen O'Hanlon, who was playing senior football with Monaghan. So the, the three of us had studied on uh, TUD, have uh, an elite athlete sports scholarship programme, um, and the three of us had been on that programme and, you know, as part of our Masters, one of the projects we had to do was kind of create a business plan and a concept for a business idea um, and COVID hit kind of towards the end of that Masters and so we had uh, probably too much time on our hands when we all stopped training and didn't know what to do. So we kind of just decided to have a go at the at the business concept and entered a few competitions, applied for a few different rounds of funding and... Um, managed to get a, a bit of success out of that and, and to kind of get a bit of momentum going behind the idea. Um, so I've been working on that really for for a year and a half now at this stage. And I guess while doing that, um, I was I was very lucky to do the Business uh, Masters the first time with TUD. But to make a long story short, I, I, had a, I had a bad accident off a bike very early on in that Masters and I ended up with kind of, um, I broke three bones in my leg and I broke my ankle and dislocated my yeah. ankle. Um, so I ended up with, yeah, the plate and eight screws and a tightrope in the leg. So I had I had no camogie played during that first Masters with TUD. So um, I got the opportunity to, whilst I was obviously doing the business with the two guys, to go back and uh, to do another Masters in um, in the pharmaceutical area and to hopefully play a little bit more camogie the second time around. Um, so when I had the opportunity to do that, I thought it kind of would be a good balance. It would allow me kind of keep going at the business stuff for a little while longer, while also freshening up my academic qualifications in science because there'd obviously been a a pandemic since I last studied chemistry, so there was probably a bit to freshen up on, I figured. Um, So, yeah, I've I've done the majority of that now. I started that last September, so I have kind of a, a dissertation still to do with it, but the exams and lectures and everything are... Well, I've no results, but they're hopefully finished. <laughs> um, and we managed to win a, a personal championship with with TUD there along the way as well. So um, more successful in the Kimogi front than the first Masters was anyway. But yeah, so that's that's the whirlwind version of um, business and college for the last few years, if you could follow gonna any say,
0: of that. I was going to say, do you have anything else going on? It doesn't sound busy <laughs> at all. Um, I was just going to ask Ashland... Uh, the concept and the idea you had done with it was you said Stephen and Faye was that the other two people?
1: Yeah Stephen um, and Faye yeah.
0: What was that idea I know you said you mentioned applying for funding and to, like to develop it I suppose what was that concept what stages it that now and kind of are you still actively working on that?
1: Yeah yeah we are so the the concept behind it is it's a high protein vegan milk and um, so the two guys Faye and Stephen are both vegan as I mentioned they're both playing high level sports as well And um, I guess you look at the likes of kind of, you know, having more Protein Milk or Muju or even any of these Fulfill uh, High Protein Bars. And we, we, as part of our scholarship with TUD, we had access to a nutritionist called Orla Walsh, who works with a lot of the the, uh, elite level um, athletes in in TUD. And, uh, you know, it's a fantastic scholarship program and getting access to a nutritionist to her standards, for the year it, it is obviously hugely beneficial as an athlete, but I, I suppose it had the added benefit for us that quickly we kind of identified the area of uh, high-protein vegan grab-and-go snacks as something that we felt was, was uh, deficient. And so we we spoke with Orla a little bit about it and and she kind of confirmed what we thought from from a professional standpoint, I guess, from her her side. She agreed that there was a a gap in the market for something like that, you know. I guess for her, for clients who are are looking to buy something on the way out of college and go into training session, if she wants them to get a high-protein snack, you're looking at, like, a litre of soy milk or a bag of nuts or something like that, which aren't great pre-training options. Um, So, yeah, we, we used her a little bit and we worked with her and... Um, the product that we've developed, has, it's, it's changed a lot over the last year or so, so I won't bore you too much with the, with the evolution of it. But at the minute, it's, a, it's like a 330ml a grab-and-go soy-based milk alternative. Um, so we've a chocolate flavour, a vanilla flavour and a strawberry flavour, all ha- which have about 15 or 16 grams of pro- protein in each one. Um, so we've worked with a few different people to develop it and we've been working with Chagas most recently for the last kind of Six months just working on shelf life and logistics, and uh, we've gone through uh, the Food Academy and Super Value. Um, we've been accepted into their program, so the aim would be hopefully over the next couple of months to get it to get it out on out in shelves and, and get selling it. um Fingers crossed, all going all going well.
0: Yeah, it's such an exciting um, it's, a, it's such an exciting journey that you guys are on with that. You know, to start as a it was a project while you're in college and actually take it from theory idea I presume you had to do it to pass an exam first and foremost yeah. but then to actually see it become an action and becoming an, and I would imagine at this point you've already got to see samples and experience it and taste it have you?
1: Yeah, yeah so we're yeah. just kind of tweaking little aspects of the taste there for the last couple of weeks um, just using different preservatives and making sure that they're not impacting on the taste, but yeah, no, it was It, it, it was an exciting process, you know, uh, I mentioned some of the funding and stuff we got. One of the first allocations of funding we got was to to get work done by kind of a brand designer, and the first time that you get like visual mock-ups of um like you say, what's just been a concept up until that point, yeah it's it's a, it's a very rewarding um journey to go on, I guess I guess from that perspective to see something kind of come to life.
0: So, if anyone listening wants to find out more about that, is there? a I suppose what's the what's the name of it, and where can they find out more about that?
1: So, it's called Moose Vegan is the name of our company M O O Z E uh, Vegan, and hopefully, will be will be in Super Values and uh, most of the kind of vegan cafes across Dublin. Um, from maybe the, the start of August or the end of summer at latest, but we have an Instagram page called Moose Vegan um, that that you'll be able to find. Um, it it has all of our all of our updates so far, and hopefully when we get when we get going and we get on shelves, the rest of the updates will will, will be available there anyway.
0: That's so exciting! I'm sure you you must be buzzing to kind of go through that last. It's, well, it's a process that never probably ends because as soon as it comes out <laughs> something evolves or it's just going to keep rolling but I can see the whole I can feel the energy off you as you talk about it and smile on your face as you discuss it and I think as you kind of wrap up the conversation it's such a nice way to kind of come, come back to where we started from talking about like looking at athletes as people but also the whole person in different ways and the different pods or different parts of all of us embracing them and engaging with them and ultimately feeding them in different ways that, you know, you're not just honed in on one and shutting down another part of your life. And I feel like there's so much in there in terms of really just listening to you and talking to you for the last hour or like the last, or over an hour now. But, um, just authenticity just comes to mind. Just seeing you like be so comfortable talking about these things, having such a clear, um, clear voice and like a, a passionate voice on the, on these different issues and this, like and your own journey, I think it's incredible. Um, and to that point, I was just going to say, like, if if anyone, listened, I suppose if any GPA members are listening to this, because plenty of them have been um, and have engaged with different supports and programs in different ways. I suppose my last question to you was just if you could give any advice to players on the panel, but maybe not fully clued into what the GPA do or what work they're up to or how they can help. I suppose, what would you say to them and um, or what advice would you give to them?
1: Yeah, Um, I I think it's a great question because I think, you know, I'm the GPA rep for for my panel and I'm constantly trying to tell the girls just how much resources are there and just how many supports are there. And it's it's virtually impossible to keep them up to date and everything because there's just so much they offer. but one of the one of the points of advice that I've given to a few of the girls within within the Dublin team so far is you know there's there's a support there within the GPA where you can reach out and schedule a meeting with with one of the kind of the coaches or, or advisors in there and you can go in and you can talk about absolutely anything you know I could go in and talk to them about the fact that I'm interested in art but I've no idea how to to go about it or I could go in and talk to them about the fact that I'm not happy in my job but I don't really know what I want to do instead. Um, and loads of the girls on my team have, have gone and done that and have done booked an appointment with them and it's just a 30 minute chat and you can direct it whatever way you want um and I think it's a fantastic support any of the girls on my team I mean I think we were having a joke about it there recently because I think most of the girls on my team who did it ended up quitting their jobs and going into a completely different field afterwards. So I'm not necessarily advocating that everybody quits their job at the end of it. But, um, you know, if that's, if that's what it takes for you to find something that you're happy doing and you want to do, then I think that's fantastic. But, you know, every team has a, has a rep. Hopefully every team knows who their rep is. If there's a specific support you need, ask the rep. Um, if there's if there's something that matches it the chances are if there isn't there's something very close or there's something that they can do for you you know I think everybody's very familiar with the financial supports that the GPA gives in terms of college scholarships and funding for further education and um, programs and all the rest but there's a huge amount there outside of that you know even for ourselves with moves when we started up um, the GPA were, were able to give us an accountant to work with us for the first year to, to navigate that side of it which we weren't familiar with uh, we were given a huge amount of help in terms of uh, developing our pitches before we went and spoke to SuperValue, and you know, running through the concept and the financials to do with our product. So, like, I'd keep you here all day if I told you about everything they do. So I'm not going to even try and do that because I'd still forget about half of it. But uh, my advice to anybody would be: a) to speak to your rep and try if there's a specific support you do want to try and to try and help them help you to identify what that is. But B, if you think there's something that's a little bit off or a little bit lacking or something that could be changed, just to book one of those first meetings with the GPA because um, they're incredibly beneficial and, and you've nothing to lose from it. That might sound a little bit cliche, but you know you really don't. And they're used to dealing with with, with athletes. They'll understand better than most people the kind of demands that are already on your life. Um, and I think they, it'd be few and far between the people who wouldn't take something out of that 20 or 30-minute chat um, so, I think it'll be time well spent, you know.
0: The Player's Voice podcast is brought to you by the Gaelic Players Association in collaboration with Real Talks. To listen to previous episodes with Tom Parsons, Chloe and Shayna Mori, Kate Keeney, Louise Galvin, Con Kilpatrick, and Neil McManus, make sure to subscribe by searching The Player's Voice on whichever podcast platform you prefer. And while there, you would really be helping us out if you rated or reviewed the show. Don't forget, you can find out more about the GPA's BO360 program by visiting bio 360gayletplayerscom My name is Alan O'Mara, and to find out more about my work as a performance and well-being consultant, please go to www.realtalkstudy or find me on Twitter and Instagram at AOMTheCat. Thanks for listening.